Sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Brought to you by OfficerPrivacy.com, the company's officers trust with their online privacy. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, the show where two retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have another really good episode for you. We have a young lady who was a cop for 16 years. Uh, she's going to talk about her passion, why she wanted to be a cop, and the horrific situation that ended that career. It's baptism by fire, and that's all I'll say. Then we're going to go into cop talk. We're going to talk about something positive for once in cop talk. Uh, I don't even think I'll have to go um you to my friend. You say it's positive. I guarantee you it's probably going to have some negative effects. We'll see. We'll see. But it's the Olympics. Uh, they're not going to allow BOM to destroy something about unifying and unity. And so I'm excited about that. Okay. Uh, and, and then we'll go into uh, Stupid Suspects, Horror Headlines, and, of course, Jason's always inspirational closing message. So stay tuned. Stay informed that there's a message from our sponsor, OfficerPrivacy.com. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. OfficerPrivacy.com is offering a special deal for listeners of this podcast. This is a great deal. Go to OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash BB. Their team of current and retired law enforcement officers will remove your information from the top three sites that are showing your home address, phone number, and more. Sign up at OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash BB. You can also follow the link on our show notes. During these challenging days, we not only need to remember our many fallen heroes for their ultimate sacrifice, but also honor them so their families know we've not forgotten. And that's what the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders Organization is all about. Each year, the nonprofit organizes three memorial rides among the beautiful backdrop of North, South, and Central Arizona, with the proceeds going to the 100 Club of Arizona. Learn more about these fun rides and how you can honor all of Arizona's fallen heroes at ArizonaFallenHeroesMemorialRiders.org. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. You know, unless you've been living under a rock, you know Jason Schechterly's story. Uh, the, the book, uh, Burning Shield, is amazing book. I highly recommend it you know about that fire uh you may even know about my fire if you've listened to the show um we're going to talk about another fire um the the passion appeal of this next guest uh siobhan seymour who was a detective out of uh fort collins uh, colorado Uh, she worked 16 years Uh, she is just one of these really interesting individuals uh, she is a certified trauma specialist, uh, neurophysiological trauma, yoga instructor, things I can't even pronounce to include what I just said. Uh, <laughs> she was, like I said, she was a, a cop for 16 years, served the bulk of her career as a crimes against person detective, working murders, sexual assaults, and crimes against children in that department. Uh, eventually, the work got heavy, 
and she was diagnosed with PTSD, anxiety, and depression. As a result of it, uh, she took a leave of absence to pursue a holistic approach to healing and dug into the research on a mental health and such veracity and veracity uh, where she worked to help solve these crimes against children. Uh, that path led um, to some beautiful things. So uh, now she coaches first responders for their problems. So I, I, and she's been on Dateline. There's been numerous articles. I just cannot say enough about um, what she has done in her career. Uh, it was shortened, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I want to welcome Siobhan Simior to our show. Thank you for joining Badge Boys. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, truly our honor. It really is. Um, I kind of um, talked a little bit about Jason's uh, situation with his fire. Obviously, the, I think the world knows that. Um, many of us, to include myself, have had horrific situations. Um, I've, you know, scars are still on my body as well as my soul on people I couldn't save from a fire. Um, it, it just it, it's taxing. But before I go into that story and some other stories about your time working with the child crimes, which I truly appreciate. There's something that Jason always asks, and so I'm going to let him ask it. Yes, Siobhan, thank you so much for joining us, and go Rams, first of all. I know you are an <laughs> alum of Colorado State, so congratulations on that. Uh, thank you. I always, something I think about every day, something that has carried me through so many dark days is to remember and to be proud of why I put my name on the application and I always want to learn other people's stories. So can you tell me why you did that? Yeah, absolutely. So I come from a long line of law enforcement experience. Um, my grandfather was in the CIA and my dad was in the FBI. And uh, since I was a little girl, I was probably 10 years old and I started reading some of his books by John Douglas and Robert Ressler on um, how to profile serial killers. Uh, I was kind of, I always knew that this was what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and I found a huge sense of purpose in, in serving other people. So you could say it was definitely in my blood. Outstanding. And you, you joined for that purpose and did it fulfill, you know, your coppers, did you feel like you were doing what you were meant to do on this earth? I did. I felt an ex extreme uh, sense of calling towards the profession and that there was nothing else that I was designed to do, frankly, um, this, that I was made for the profession and the profession was made for me. Um, you could say my the foundation of my being was was built with uh, blue bricks. You know, I there was no other way for me or means for me to be anything else. It, it sounds seamless. Like it was the perfect, like you said, calling. And I think we get uh -huh. that. I think a lot of officers listening to the show totally get that as well as their family members. I, I can't help to bring up as police officers, especially as patrol officers, we see a lot of horrific situations and, and set, set, set situations that sometimes you don't even realize how uh, indelible a mark they make until you've retired and you start thinking back and then the PTSD starts kicking in and, and oh my gosh um, I know obviously Jason's horrific fire I had a situation you had one as well did you not I did so I was a brand new cop um, I was probably on my own for just a few months when I was dispatched to uh, a fire call 
in the middle of the night. Um, my partner and I were about two blocks north of where the lo- or two miles really north of where the location was of the fire. And I remember looking out my window and seeing the flames um, like miles high in the sky. Uh, we we flew there, uh, code three, and when we arrived. Um, the, it was a, a second-story apartment that was was fully engulfed. And when my partner and I got there, um, dispatch was airing that there was a mother and a child who were trapped inside of the apartment, and they were screaming for help. Uh, when we were on scene, I remember standing outside of the building as close as I could and feeling that heat on my skin and this extraordinary sense of helplessness of being unable to enter the apartment and save them. Um, eventually, dispatch reported that they were just breathing and that they couldn't hear any screaming anymore, and then there was nothing on the line. Um, ultimately, both the mother and the child died in the fire, and uh, I, I definitely um, suffered some severe PTSD as a result of my inability to save them. Um, I think that, you know, in all of our careers, at least I would like to believe this, um, that we're eventually presented with this moment where, you know, we are led to realize that even though we are these warriors, that we are still subject to the same rules of humanity that everybody else is and that we aren't invincible and that we are um, in some ways fragile, just like the rest of the people that we serve. And that was that moment for me, um, my kind of day of reckoning where I wasn't the superhero that I had believed myself to be in the morning when I had put on that uniform, that badge and that gun. And sadly, that was so early on in your career to come to that, um, you know, mm-hmm. that that realization that we're we're, we're flawed, we're, we're human. And I know I shared my story with you, so I'm not going to go into it. But when I failed to save that young lady from the fire, uh, even though I, I saved other people, um, it had such a effect where I was obsessed with saving lives. What kind of fallout, for lack of a better phrase, uh, did you experience uh, moving forward in your career from day, you know, from year two, three, and on? Um, so after the fire took place, I immediately after, I started engaging in this behavior I later learned was called uh, mastery, where I would go to every single fire that there was um, just to prove to myself and in some respects in my mind prove to my partners that I was still able to perform um, the, perform the quality service I wanted to. And then I, uh, I was able to get into the Crimes Against Persons unit, and I dedicated the rest of my career to saving as many children as I could. Um, that, the bulk of our work was dealing with traumatized children, and I, I believe that the reason I was so passionate about it was in many respects, in some form, trying to redeem uh, myself from not being able to save that child in the fire early in my career. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And sadly, I got a feeling there's a, probably a lot of people out there like us that were, you know, damaged, um, scarred. And then this 
I would call it unhealthy obsession to save lives to the point where I was always putting myself at risk. And, and it sounds like you're kind of doing the same thing. Uh, and then I, too, gravitated towards child crimes uh, like you did. Did that help? Because I found it helped me, at least initially. Yeah, I think in, in many respects, it was cathartic to be able to save children and to, uh, to show that I still had value. Um, I think that the highs were high, but the lows were low. So when there was a child that maybe you couldn't help or couldn't save, that that, um, that loss is sometimes magnified by our history with losing it in the past. So it's almost like a compound interest type effect where uh, being able to recognize that you don't have control or power over every single aspect of a case, um, it, that kind of gets muted out. You, you believe you have more effect over an outcome than you actually do. If that makes sense. It, it makes complete sense. And I think that's why post-traumatic stress is just that. It's down the road when it, you, other people think that dust has settled. It hasn't because we've collectively added to that, uh, that storm, as Chris mentioned in a previous show. Um, well, everybody else moves on, but yet mm-hmm. you are stuck in that moment in time and even though you also move on as far as the next you case w- you, well you wake up every day yes you still get dressed you have the next case but you're still carry that moment with you whereas for other people that are yeah peripheral involved. Did, well they're disassociated whether geographically or just emotionally they lose sight of that that you might still be there and uh, you brought up something Siobhan that I find very because this is what I try to talk I just was down at the academy last Thursday teaching and mm-hmm. it's a wow it's a different world you know, I've been teaching the academy for 17 years now and uh, I told this class I said you know this is unlike any time ever to talk to these doe-eyed recruits that are both scared and and excited I give them a lot of credit for what they're getting into. But what I tried to tell them, and I hope police departments are getting better at this, I don't really think they are. It doesn't matter who you are or what you think of the job, what you are is expected of you. You don't know how you're going to feel like for you the first time you go on a call where the, a mother and a daughter have died. You don't know how you're going to feel the first time you point your gun at somebody or somebody points a gun at you, you don't know how you're going to feel the first time you go to a suicide. And I always say it's okay to not be okay, but cops Mm -hmm. tend to not view it like that until it's a little bit too late. Yeah. I think, you know, our, we all at some point in our career have like a day or call that um, it, it imprints your heart, and it's almost unavoidable. And I think uh, that there is maybe a false belief that somehow we aren't we aren't subject to the same rules as the rest of humanity is, in that we uh, are able to compartmentalize well and um, move past 
trauma quickly. And for many cases and calls, that's the truth. Uh, you know, like I'm sure you both have seen a lot of horrific things throughout the course of your year and maybe not many of them have stuck with you, but there's probably, you know, three to five that you can recall like they were yesterday um, that have left an impression on your, your being. And I think it's um, sometimes we, uh, I guess the, as you get aged into police departments um, and are in a position to mentor some of these younger officers, I think it's critical to start having these conversations with them so that they know when their time comes that they're normal, that it's okay to feel sad or fall apart when you see the death of a child or whatever, like normalizing that emotional response is critical because otherwise they stuff it and then they end up, you know, having to unpack it later in their career and deal with it at some very inopportune times. And based on our job, specifically dealing with child crimes, uh, we did have to suck it up for lack of a better phrase, because the, the, you know, the, the child's life, you know, it was, was literally hanging in the balance based on our investigation many times. And we didn't have the luxury of being an advocate at that time. You, and so it's going to have the effect down the road. I can only assume that's what happened with you because you started this dream job, this family you know, career, and it ended short. You didn't go your 20 year, which I have no doubt when you signed on, you, you knew it was going to go 20 years and you had no doubt of that. Can you talk about what happened um, as it relates to you that might help others if it can? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I never dealt with the fire, so I didn't go and get therapy. I didn't process it really at all. Um, I, I dealt with it, you know, in other ways, being nightmares and you know, the physiological responses that your body has to trauma and your mind has to trauma, um, those unavoidable ways. But uh, outside of that, I, um, I really spent the bulk of my career helping as many kids as I could. And then... I, in 2019, was assigned a case involving a mother who had lost a child, and um, she was, it was an older, it was a 21-year-old boy who was shot in a room with his best friend, and it was unclear who had done the shooting, whether it was self-inflicted or it was the friend. Um, so I was tasked to reinvestigate this case. It was investigated by uh, a different detective in my agency that didn't have the the specialties that I did. So um, when I reinvestigated the case, the mom in this particular uh, investigation was extremely angry at the police department for how her son's case was initially handled. And I was at the receiving end of the bulk of that rage. And so what happened was all of the um, trauma that I hadn't dealt with with this mother and child from my fire kind of came back to the forefront of my mind and was uh, personified in this mother in my new investigation. So the rageful mom who had visited me in my nightmares had come back in person and uh, was, you know, spitting her venom at, at how the police department had failed her child. So um, it was a lot. And uh, it became very clear that I needed to take some time to, to deal with the things that I hadn't dealt with um, and had pushed aside for so many years. And 
so I, uh, I ended up completing that investigation and um, charging the friend with as much as I could uh, to get some semblance of justice for that family. Um, you know, the nice part about that case and its resolution was that the mother ended up, you know, giving me a hug and sobbing in my arms and thanking me, Aww. which felt good. Yeah. But um, the damage at that point had been done and I needed a break. So I started, uh, I took a year off from work and I started um, really diving down into those mental health rabbit holes and seeing what I could figure out and researching how to get myself well. And what did you find? Did you find that you were able to get assistance from the, you know, the organizations that were out there? Did your department help you in that regards and to, in regards to therapy? Or was it more of this holistic approach that you found that was truly helpful? So um, it was kind of, initially it was, the department was very supportive. And I, I guess I would say that they have been supportive throughout. Um, and I love I love Fort Collins police and I always will. And they were great about um, getting me plugged in with a therapist and uh, executing a workman's comp claim. And so um, as a result of the workman's comp claim, I was diagnosed with PTSD, anxiety, and depression. And uh, I was prescribed medication and I didn't want to take it. And I don't think that is unusual. I think particularly for police officers, we want to have some control over our our bodies and our minds and uh, the idea of taking pills sometimes is um, kind of put off. So true. Yeah. So I really, I started diving into the research and around mental health. And um, what I found was that there's really five uh, key pillars that we can use on a daily basis that have tremendous effects on how we are handling stress and also how we ultimately handle our trauma. And uh, those five things are gratitude, connection, movement, diet, and breath work. And all of these have um, scientifically been proven to help support our system in dealing and regulating stress. Um, I think we don't hear a lot about them because nobody's making money off of them you know, which is the unfortunate thing. Like if there's no profit to be gained off of. How do you monetize it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's Shame. Uh, there's not a lot of word out on it, but there is a lot of research out on it, which is pretty, pretty uh, inspiring, I would say. Like um, scientifically speaking, gratitude has been shown to have tremendous effects on inflammation and your stress response. It, it speeds up recovery time for injuries. And there was a, a study done on cardiovascular disease patients um, who were hospitalized as a result of their illness. And half the group was tasked with performing five minutes of gratitude. And the other half of the group was just receiving the same um, medical care that the gratitude group was receiving. And the group that was practicing gratitude recovered at a higher rate of speed, showed less inflammation, and uh, was generally more responsive to the medical treatment than the people who weren't practicing gratitude. So, I mean, that's pretty amazing and impressive as far as I'm concerned. And uh, the, I feel like we should be talking about this stuff more because there are simple things that we can be using in our lives to help really mitigate our stress so that 
when trauma does come along, we have some reserves to draw from rather than, you know, seeking a bottle or, um, or other, you know, more risky behavior for our health or, or mental health. I love that you bring that up because uh, in the past 20 years, that's the one thing I keep coming back to is, is gratitude is, is so much more powerful than any drug you can take or any lengthy therapy session you can go through. I, I've told people the last couple of days, in the past seven days, I have shed more tears than I have in the past seven years combined. And it was a mixture of one of my sons moving out of state, another one of my sons finishing his high school baseball career, losing a, you know, somebody I'm going to consider a friend, even though I didn't know him all that well, but this is the person who sat next to me six months ago, and I did not know that I was going to be then standing next to his casket last Friday night, and I cried my eyes out over the course of two hours from talking to other friends and his family, and but I, I have kept coming back to that exact word. You have to find something to be grateful for. And there's always something. There always is every single day. And I know it's simplistic um, to, to go back to Dr. Seuss and the old saying of be thankful that it happened and not sad because it's over, which is sometimes very difficult. And in today's cancel culture world with Dr. Seuss, you know what, you can all kiss my ass because everything that I've, <laughs> everything that I've seen and that I've been through, uh, that stuff still matters to me. And I, I appreciate you so much bringing that up because people need to think about that. They need to use that word. They need to say it out loud, write it down or find every day what they are grateful for. If you are not able to feel and experience gratitude, you will not win any of your battles. So true. Thank you for sharing all that stuff with um, regards to your friend and and your son. That's hard, and and I do think that gratitude is is such a powerful tool to recalibrate in times of of stress or trauma. Um, I I find that sometimes people don't use it to the extent that it can be used, meaning. You know, when I work with clients, for example, I talk to them about gratitude and, you know, I'll say, you know, think of five things that you're grateful for and they can list them off like anybody, family, friends, house, mm-hmm. whatever. But um, the type of gratitude that is really therapeutic and uh, produces the results that we wanted to is very specific and intentional gratitude. So when I talk about how I'm grateful for my family, I talk about how I'm grateful for my 10-year-old son's hugs mm. and how he lays his head on my heart and wraps his arms around my waist and just squeezes me super tight. And I know I'm loved in that moment. And when I say that story, you can probably feel something like what I'm feeling in my body yeah. when I'm telling it. And it's different than saying I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for that moment. So getting really clear and specific about what you're grateful for when you're reviewing those things is, is important. And uh, it gets you more of the, the rewards of gratitude that we're all seeking. And tell us a little bit about these clients, because I understood you took a, a year, a sabbatical, if you will, from the police department. Did you kind of change professions 
or are you still looking to get back into police work? Because it sounds like you're doing a lot of neat things with what you're doing, helping police officers. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I started a, a business, an LLC called the Kalyana Project, and Kalyana means well-being in Sanskrit. And um, basically, it's a compilation of all of these uh, lifestyle tools that help mitigate stress. So I, I'm a wellness coach now, and I help first responders and others in the community who are dealing with stress as well um, mitigate their stress through developing these different techniques in their day-to-day practice so that they can create this bank of resiliency to draw from when trauma or stress strikes. Because, you know, trauma and, and stress are byproducts of life, they're unavoidable. Um, But if we can develop these practices and uh, make deposits into this resiliency bank, then when they come along, we're far better equipped to handle them than we would if we aren't taking care of ourselves. I just love everything you're doing, and I cannot thank you enough. For those who are grabbing a pen to write this down, can you give us the uh, website one more time? Um, in regards to the Kalyana Project? Sure. It's just thekalyanaproject.com, and I'll spell Kalyana. It's K-A-L-Y-A-N-A, and then the word project.com. You know, one of the things I always tell uh, our guests when they have these amazing stories and are helping so many people that you have a book in you. If I can write a book, uh, granted, it was a long process taken from crayon to print but if i can write a book anybody can write a book um have you thought about writing a book are you in the process and do we have something to look forward to down the future i actually am in the process of writing it um it's been um a a great uh i guess therapeutic journey for me and has made me aware of some of the things that are going on inside of my mind that i i didn't necessarily know were there um, but yeah, I'm definitely working on it and hopefully I'll have it out. I don't know. I need to set a goal for myself here, maybe within a year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Every day, even if it's just the, the, the different naming of chapters. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I look forward to having you back on the show so we can talk about that book. Uh, will you join us? Yes, absolutely. I would love to. Fantastic. Again, uh, cannot thank you enough, uh, not just for being on our show, but for everything you're doing. You're helping so many other people. Uh, it wasn't just helping yourself. By helping yourself, you're able to help others. And thank you for a dedicated career uh, working with ch- child crimes. I did it for a few years. That's a tough gig. So um, my hat's off to you. Thank you so much. And thank you for this opportunity. It was so great to talk with you. Absolutely. Well, we'll be right back for Cop Talk. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I'm Pete James, a retired law enforcement officer who has a passion for the safety and security of those in the profession. OfficerPrivacy.com offers a full range of privacy services that removes your personal information from the internet so you and your family can feel safe and secure in your home. OfficerPrivacy.com will keep you safe. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. You know, I was so excited 
to talk to our last guest. I completely am remiss to talk about officerprivacy.com. And I had this perfect thing I was going to talk about. I have uh, night terrors. I've always had them. I have like maybe really? yeah, five nightmares a night, every night since that. I was a kid. And I had some really bad ones. And, and with what happened to Chris and, and some other friends of mine that have died recently, um, a lot of horrible visions are coming up. And one of the worst visions is one where I survived this this shooting, and even though my gun was pointing the wrong way and shooting a different direction. And Our team's great. <laughs> they're, they're bizarre. They're bizarre. Yes, they do that. So, like, yes. why would I ever do yes. that? I wouldn't do that in real life. And, and I've been in some shootings, as you know. Not. I would hope and, you wouldn't point your and gun And my the wrong gun way. never bent the wrong way, and it never <laughs> shot in the wrong direction. But the idea that you could be sued, and the idea that people are going to come after you, and, and all these real fears are personified they really are they come true and and if it wasn't for officerprivacy.com i really believe i would have had a hard time with these uh, recent night terrors uh because i know that i'm safe on the internet there's no ways people are going to be doxing me figuring out where my family lives figuring out where my adult daughter lives um i don't have that fear and that's because of officerprivacy.com i can i can just Say it was a nightmare. That's all it was. It's not going to come true. People aren't going to come and find me based on my fingerprint, uh, you know, based on our books and our other stuff we do and lectures and so forth. Um, they're not going to have my phone number. They're not going to have my address. They're not going to have my daughter's address. And that's huge. It just means so much to me. So I just cannot thank Pete and his staff with officerprivacy.com enough. And if you go to officerprivacy.com, um, forward slash BB or Badge Boys. Uh, there is a discount and a gift. And again, it's a peace of mind. And for someone who has night terrors to wake up and feel relieved because of officerprivacy.com is huge. It's a scary um, world out there. It is. And, uh, you know, Siobhan, when she was talking about the, the night uh, the, the nightmares that she had and I had the same ones when I felt when I lost my son and when um, I couldn't save those people in the, in the car fire and it's just so daunting but thank God she does what she does and helps people yeah. and uh, she stayed on because I'm going to have her tell us about this incredible wellness retreat uh, along the Panama Islands is that right? Yeah, so it's on um, twice a year in April and September. I host two uh, separate eight-day wellness retreats on Isla Colon, which is an island off the coast of Panama. And uh, during these retreats, we offer workshops every morning um, talking about different holistic approaches to helping with mental health, um, including the, the ones mentioned before of gratitude, diet, movement, connection, and breath work, and how to anchor those habits into your day. But we also do sunrise yoga and excursions with nature immersion, and you feel really connected to the planet and, and yourself uh, throughout the course of this week. It's very therapeutic and um, just an amazing experience. And those who want more information, and uh, they can go to the uh, KalyanaProject.com. And can you, uh, that's T-H-E-K-A-L-Y-A-N-A-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.com. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Fantastic. And again, thank you so much for joining us and sticking around so we can hear about that because uh, I think uh, I'm going to beat uh, Jason and Robin uh, signing up on that. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. 
I'd love to have you. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, please stick around for our talk about the Olympics. Hopefully it's going to be positive. I, I, you tell me, Jason. Is, are we going to have a positive conversation? Well, you always have positive conversations, Darren. <laughs> Uh, this is my weekly uh, opportunity to therapy. Uh, well, just to talk about what's real in this world. I know, I know what you're going to bring up. My rainbow show. You, yes, <laughs> I know what you're going to bring up with the Olympics. And uh, again, it's been in the news. It's been a big. It has been a hot topic, and that's where we're going to discuss it. But I want to bring up. Uh, I, I want to set you up like this because I'm interested to hear your take on this. This has to do with the Olympics and the Black Lives Matter apparel. And again, I have said this on many shows. Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter movement are two completely separate things. I love the words. words. I hate words, the organization. Words matter. And it's interesting to me, the reason I'm already getting fired up as we go into this segment is because a few days ago, a female police officer in New Jersey was fired for saying that the Black Lives Matter movement is a terrorist organization. Well, I've said that no less than 12 times, and I'll make sure that today is number 13. They are a terrorist organization. And the reason, well, I don't, I'm not going to get fired, um, so I don't have to worry about that. But the truth is, if you look at just simply the facts, the reason that I say they are a terrorist organization it says Black Lives Matter, yet they want all black police officers murdered. They do not care about all the black children that have been murdered in Chicago. They are trying to start a race war, and because of CNN and because of our ridiculous politicians, they are having great success, and a lot of bad things are coming. Black lives do matter. So do words. So do Hispanic lives and Greek lives and Swiss lives and everybody's life matters. And I'm going to be called a racist for that. And again, you all can kiss my ass if you think that. But the movement itself is not good. It's not healthy. And the people who run it are doing some very dangerous things. Now we have an international organization who has stepped up and said, you are not allowed to flaunt that you are not allowed to express yourselves in that way and i'm a big believer it's very simplistic to say you know what when i watch sports i want to watch the sport i want to watch gymnastics and i want to watch the uh the track and field i want to watch the summer olympics and i want to appreciate these people for what they have done nobody sees the blood sweat and tears that goes into every day 10, 12, 16 hours of training every single day for four years just so that they can shine for one to three minute periods. That stuff matters to me. I do not care. I care about that. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what you think on the political side of it. And I am glad that the Olympic Committee stepped up and said we're not going to have an event for two to three weeks that is divisive now of course i'm in the minority right now because the people who yell and scream the loudest on twitter or cnn are going to uh, strongly oppose and they are going to demonize 
the Olympic Committee for this. Uh, but I, I do think it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing. So uh, be anxious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, we're pretty much, you know, some patigo in terms of I love those three words, Black Lives Matter. Absolutely, 100%. I don't approve of any organization that likes to divide and destroy and dismantle police. And it's all these Ds, the fun, dismantle, destroy. Um, so, no, of course, I hate that. I don't want to say I hate that movement because I think the movement for some people is important to them. They, they, I'm not in their shoes. I don't know what it's like to be in certain situations. I had friends that have had horrible situations. Sure. I get that. Sure. And we've seen bad cops. They occur, Plenty. but there's no one that hates a bad cop more than a cop, yes. period. Yes. Uh, so when people like LeBron speak out of another anatomy orifice other than their mouth, um, and they're speaking out of their ass, and they don't know what they're talking about, uh, that angers me. And there's people that are almost treating um, verbiage like clickbait. You know, they just want to be bombastic um, and divide and get attention there's those who literally are making money monetizing division and they're doing it and we're seeing it unfortunately so when the olympics puts this out and this is what they put out the international olympic committee bans kneeling bom protests during tokyo games athletes have been prohibited from wearing clothing that features the black lives matter slogan and logo at the tokyo olympic games which are scheduled to begin in july the ioc which is the uh, international olympic committee intends to enforce what's called rule 50 a requirement that aims to keep the venues the olympic village and the podium neutral and free from any form of political religious or ethnic demonstrations in other words it's about unity not division According to the IOC rule, quote, if an athlete or participant is in breach of Rule 50, blah, 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 then they can be uh, sanctioned and they're in trouble, basically. Uh, last month, the IOC clarified what is and is not allowed. I think this is really good. Quote, confirmed its longstanding ban on demonstrations for political, religious, or racial propaganda on the field of play, medium podiums, or uh, other official ceremonies. Quote, raising a fist or kneeling for a national anthem could lead to punishment. Love it. That's the divide. It's absolutely division. It's 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 not about unity. And the Olympics is all about unity. I have not watched the Olympics since I was a kid, but I used to love basketball. LeBron ruined that for me. I love basketball. I'm a Suns fan through and through. I, I was raised, you know, in the late '60s watching Suns when it was brand new, mm -hmm. and now I can't. I don't do it. I can't do it because it makes me sick to my stomach. Now I get to look for the Olympics. So I'm excited about this. And it goes on. The IOC also said that the slogans such as Black Lives Matter will not be allowed on athletes' apparel. In other words, BOM selling this, um, and then they give it for political reasons because they are a political entity, clearly. Uh, so I love that. And the only things that will be allowed is words like peace, respect, solidarity, inclusion, equality. These are beautiful words and good for them. Uh, this is, a, you know, I kept talking about we're going to see a, a bridge too far. Uh, some incident is going to hopefully unite people around the ridiculousness of what some of these celebrities and the media is talking about in terms of the funding police and, and talking about how all police are bad and shows that have just jumped on this bandwagon in the, uh, the Hollywood circles. I think this is a good sign. This is nothing but positive for me. I'm, I'm going to go to my rainbow show and be all happy with my unicorns. I'm really excited about this, my friend. Yeah. And you know, when I watch the Olympics, of course I'm going to cheer for the Americans because I'm, 
patriotic. I'm an American. I want to see them win. But I've always found myself, I've watched every single Winter and Summer Olympics since I was a little kid. I'm almost 50 years old now. And I just root for people to be successful. And again, I appreciate their hard work. But when we're talking about the subject, we're talking about, if you remember the 1968, I believe, Olympics were the two track and field stars who who stood one and two on the podium and they put on the black glove. They raised their fists in protest. And it's an iconic photo. It's an iconic moment in time. And I don't think any of us have a problem with what they chose to do at that moment because there was authenticity and there was a genuine belief in what they wanted to get across. What you don't have now, when you talk about LeBron James, here's the two examples that we're looking at. A couple weeks ago, a white bar owner in Cincinnati said, I am not showing any NBA games until LeBron James is kicked out of the NBA. That's you know, I mean, that's Probably a little, that, that's a little <laughs> ridiculous. That's not going to happen. But LeBron James was quick to respond to him on Twitter and talk shit. Then the next day, you had a black police officer in Los Angeles, 23-year veteran, who wrote a beautiful letter to LeBron James asking for a meeting. Not No cameras, no fanfare, no putting it out on the media, let's just meet. And the black police officer said the same thing. I hate police brutality. I hate that black people are being killed. So LeBron James will respond to this white bar owner in Cincinnati because he can, he can have fun and, and get his followers more fired up. He will not meet with a black police officer because it doesn't fit his narrative. And he would be too worried about all of a sudden being canceled by Nike or some of his other uh, million-dollar sponsors. That's where the disingenuousness comes in. That's where you realize this is not authentic. This is simply about division and hate. So I do give credit to the Olympic Committee, and I will watch the Olympics with a little more calmness that I'm not <laughs> going to have to. I, you know what? I'm not watching CNN. I'm not listening to the ridiculous politicians in Congress right now. I am going to watch a bunch of athletes who have worked their ass off for now five years because they got postponed, don't forget, last year. They went through a lot of adversity. They suffered, and they had to rededicate themselves and be like, Jesus, i got to do this for another 12 months. And they did it, and that's what I want to see, and I want to see them all excel. I do not care what their last name is. I don't care what ethnicity they are or what country they're from. I want to see these individuals succeed and I want to be entertained. I do not want to be divided and be reminded that there are a few people in this country that are yelling and screaming the loudest in Congress or on Twitter or on Facebook. That is not acceptable. So I do give credit to them and, uh, Again, I know that's uh, a very hot topic, and a lot of people will disagree. That's just uh, this is our show, and this is our, those I'm are our, those are our feelings. So I get to watch sports um, again. I, 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 no, literally, the last I year think, I've yes, gone I can't without wait. football, without basketball, I, I without baseball. Wait. Now I'm going to watch the Olympics. Like little I, kid, I'm excited. I can't wait. Yeah. All right, we will be back with uh, heroic headlines, and Darren, I am going to step on your toes this week and do Uh-oh. something I have never done in 119 I look shows. To it. I have. Two 
heroic headlines because you always have like three. I will throw suspects. away one of my stupid. No, 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 for no. You. you don't. I'll go through I these. Am. I'll go through these quick. Um, uh, but we'll be right back with uh, heroic headlines, stupid suspects, and an inspirational close. So come on back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. We both signed up for the service and are so happy with it. OfficerPrivacy.com is offering a very special deal for listeners of the Badge Boys. This is a great deal. Go to OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash BB. Their team of current and retired law enforcement officers will remove your information from the top 30 sites that are showing your home address, your phone number, and so much more. When you sign up now with our link, you'll get a free bonus mailed to you, plus your first month of monitoring for free. You don't have to be an officer to sign up. If you are a family member or just don't want your personal information out there on the Internet, you can join OfficerPrivacy.com. We've met the owner, had him on her show, great guy, and he will take care of you, I promise. If you care about your online privacy, and I highly recommend the service he provides, sign up at OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash BB. During these challenging days, we not only need to remember our many fallen heroes for their ultimate sacrifice, but also honor them so their families know we've not forgotten. And that's what the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders Organization is all about. Each year, the nonprofit organizes three memorial rides among the beautiful backdrop of North, South, and Central Arizona, with the proceeds going to the 100 Club of Arizona. Learn more about these fun rides and how you can honor all of Arizona's fallen heroes at ArizonaFallenHeroesMemorialRiders.org. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. You know, I just love that cop talk. It was positive. It was about the Olympics doing the right thing for the right reasons. It's about unity. It's about peace. It's not about division. And even the negative that we talked about was old negative. I mean, it really is. It's yeah. it's uh, junk. And, and, and it's, Jason, I got to tell you, I didn't even have to watch the volume level on you this not time. Not once did no. I feel the need to go. No. Oh, I didn't yell and scream. And I don't think once. I I don't think I said the f word no, once today. I and think you listen, did. I have to give a shout out to one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, former Phoenix Police Commander and former Chandler Police Chief Sherry Kyler, who's one of the greatest human beings I've ever known in my Good life. People. I saw her at a very emotional event last Friday night. And do you know what she told me? What? Stop cussing so much on your show. <laughs> and I, uh, I, have so much, I have so much respect for she Kyler. She knows you that, so that, well. That you I, actually did it. That, that I'm like, oh, wow. yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I, yes, I will yes, stop because she didn't like listening to me yell and scream like that. Oh, so my God. That's so funny. I, I, it's I, hilarious. I, I, <laughs> and on a personal level, thank you, Lieutenant Kyler. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you, you know, and also I want to thank you, Jason. You always bring us the greatest heroic headlines. And it's kind of like the cop talk segment at times. It can be so inspirational in just the heroic aspect of what happens every day it that's exactly the key point this is what happens every day and i have two this week and the first one is um about a police officer and it comes out of prairie grove arkansas and this is some of the stuff darren i was telling you off air prior to or way back when i was active duty law enforcement 99 to 2006 i would keep track of everything and we averaged about 150 line of duty deaths per year which that sounds like a lot but when you look at i'm just in the city of phoenix alone we have two million calls for service that does not count the traffic stops 
and the what we call on view work where you find your own stuff and then you you add all 50 states and all the right. all the departments 30 in this million country arrests. so yes it's horrible to lose 150 officers in the line of duty in one year on average but i looked it up today it is may 12th 2021 and we've already lost 124 we're not even halfway so we're going to be well into the 300s it was over 300 last year so it's more than doubled there is a serious uptick in the violence and a lot more cops and a lot more civilians are being hurt and again this goes back to the rhetoric that we see in the media with politicians on directly related on facebook um so this, this heroic headline is something that is going to happen more and more. And again, Prairie Grove, Arkansas, an Arkansas police officer is in the intensive care unit right now after being shot three times during a domestic disturbance call on uh, Tuesday night, last night. His partner is credited with saving his life. The shooting occurred, uh, this is about 190 miles north of Little Rock, a little small town in a great state several officers were met with gunfire when they responded to a 911 call about a physical disturbance at a home the prairie grove police department reported that officer tyler franks he is in stable condition now at the washington regional medical center he was shot three times by a 42 year old male who i will not mention his name officer franks and officer andrew gibson who responded to the call to assist two Farmington police officers. They were there at 8.37 p.m. They were met with gunfire. Officer Franks was shot three times, and Officer Gibson returned fire, striking the suspect at least four times. Way to go, kid. Shot five times, hit him four. Cops don't usually do that, so he did really well. And he saved his partner's life, who is now going to not only live to go home to his family, but he's probably going to recover and return to work. And that is always our goal. Um, so big credit. Then that's the kind of stuff that happens every day. You respond to those calls and you, they are erupting in gunfire much more than even, I know you were in several shootings there, but it's, it's nothing compared to what is going on now. Every oh, call you right. go on, you're so right. Can end up in this crazy violence. And my next heroic headline, uh, this one, Oh man, this one, I just, this is terrible in so many ways, but it is heroic. A Texas dad who killed his daughter's rapist will not face charges because of Texas state laws on deadly force. Deadly force is authorized in stopping a violent sexual assault. And this guy, (laughs) this guy, beat this rapist to death good that's what i'm saying beat him to death with his bare hands raping and not just a daughter a young innocent child five years old and i can't imagine i have one daughter she's she's grown and lives in the great state of texas and i give (laughs) them a lot of credit this texas dad um for the grand jury to see Again, I don't care what you hear, right and wrong. And uh, he did not need to be indicted. Deadly force is authorized in those instances, and especially when it comes to child predators and child molesters to 
to have it within you to assault, sexually assault, a female under the age of 10 is absolutely an illness and a just an evil that can never evil be cured. Sickness. And they, they should be the ones that get the death penalty. And this Texas dad, who not only saved his daughter, but took it upon himself. And part of the reason that he was not indicted was the grand jury recognized that after beating this guy the way he did to stop the assault, he immediately called 911 and he immediately administered first aid to try and even save the predator's life. And wow. so the yeah. mitigating circumstances went Clearly. a long way. But he is a true hero because he saved his family. He made things better right away, start the healing process, and he is not going to face any criminal charges. And I am thankful to the state of Texas for those laws because, again, right and wrong has to apply. Think about this, though. All of us. Not only did he save his own daughter, but how many other girls? That is a great point because if the guy yeah. would have gotten away, he, it probably wasn't yeah. his first time. It certainly wouldn't have been his last No, it wouldn't have been his, his last. last. So, no. He took All out right, the garbage. Darren, I love it. How you, many stupid suspects... I'm just going to talk about one. Right now. I'm, one? Just going to, I'm just going to talk about one. And you talked about such beautiful heroism, and I'm going to talk about hair rollers. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> hair rollers. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, Robin? Apparently, oh, you ladies will put them in your hair and you yeah, roll my, up. My and, mom did all that okay, stuff. Okay, yeah. grandmothers yeah. do it. Okay. Well, uh, apparently, there is a use for hair rollers. Uh, at the uh, This would happen on April 1st, but this is not an April Fool's Jules. Uh, John F. Kennedy International Airport, there was 29 live birds concealed inside hair rollers. You know, those old school plastic rollers that your grandmama uses, it's those. Uh, the uh, 26-year-old Georgetown uh, native was en route to New Jersey when U.S. Customs and Border Protection uncovered the finches uh, during a luggage inspection. Uh, there would this would-be trafficker was flown back to Guyana where he lives, uh, and the, uh, while the critters were quarantined and handed over to U.S. Department of Agriculture Veterinarian Services, uh, yeah, they and they were caught because he was cheap. Oh. He didn't. Yeah, no, cheap. He was cheap, 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 cheap. 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 Yeah, I these finches. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, because you know, you put them in these hair rollers. They're still going to make sounds. You know, they weren't gagged or anything, so they're making all these sounds. You got hair rollers making sounds like uh, birds. Guess what? You're going to get caught every time. So it just seems really, really, really stupid. And it was, and he got caught. You know, and the that, worst part about that whole thing, people don't realize, because I'm a bird lover and I've rescued birds, but. Uh, 70% of the birds that are smuggled die. Ah, uh, see, did not know that. Yeah, they die. And that makes so, sense because, yeah. yeah, I'm looking at this photo of these uh, almost 30 birds uh, stuffed in hair rollers, and uh, it looks like they're not doing too well. Uh, so, yeah, so we're Stupid glad they're people. caught. And again, you know, don't be cheap. You know, buy real birds at a real pet store, you know. Rescue. Thank you. Darren, bird rescue. I, I bird rescue. I seriously don't know where you find these stories. <laughs> it's, it's disturbing. Most of the time, it's Florida. It's, it's just, well, that's true. Unfortunately, yes, this was not Florida. I yeah, love you, Florida. Quit. We're not picking on you. Yeah. No, yeah. you just got a lot of so stupid people. After that so. non-inspirational story, please enlighten me with something inspirational. Uh, this week's inspirational message is uh, something that uh, occurred to me uh, this week. I mean, happened to me personally, and uh, it's something that I. Uh, I just, I'm always reminded, we talked to Siobhan about gratitude and we talked about uh, other things. We have a huge swing of, of emotions every day. And uh, for those of you that are regular listeners on the show, you know that we 
did a tribute last week to Chandler officer Chris Farrar. Uh, he was on episode number 90. And again, this is a gentleman who sat uh, four feet away from me to my left. And I did not at any point in that episode think that I would be standing next to his coffin six months later. And, you know, you go to a police funeral, a lot of these law enforcement officers out there are going to understand it's a, it, it is really a sight to behold. And then uh, for people like me and you, Darren, we see people that we haven't seen in a very long time. And it's, it's an interesting range of emotions. You know, I, I went from, I'm crying in talking to his family. I'm crying. Uh, I, 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 I spent several days thinking, you know, the honor guard that stands there, I give them credit. I could never be an honor guard person. They stand there like mannequins and they do their job. And there was two people standing next to the coffin and I was up there alone. And I said a lot of very private, personal things out loud. And I'm, <laughs> when I left, I kind of smiled. I'm like, I wonder what the honor guard is going to go home and think, uh, wow, I heard Schechterly saying this that, and the other. And again, I won't share that with anybody. It was very personal and, and private. I spoke to his family. I saw people, again, Chief Kyler. I saw people I haven't seen in a long time. I had some times where I cried. I had times where I smiled. And then when I was leaving, I was there. I expected to be, again, how many of these have you been to, Darren? You go into a visit. Too many. You, okay, you go into a visitation. You stand in line. You sign the book. You go pay your respects, and you walk out the other side, and you walk out the church doors, and you go home. I mean, I have been to so many police funerals, unfortunately, and I have been there maybe 15 minutes. I was at this event for two and a half hours the other night because of all the people I saw and how I was affected by this. And as I was finally leaving, there was this young girl. And when I say young, she could not have been nine years old. Standing there wearing a mask, had her hands folded, kind of looking at the floor. And her mom said, uh, my daughter would like to introduce herself to you. Well, children do not tend to come up to me with my appearance and things like that. It's, yeah, I think it's intimidating for children and they don't do that. And so I said, well, all right, I will let this young girl introduce herself. And she walked up and pulled down her mask and she said, uh, my name is Emma Fink. My grandfather was Skip Fink. He died, so he's not here, but I wanted to say hi to you. So innocent and so profound. And I instantly started crying and I knelt down and got on her eye level. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Skip Fink was a Department of Public Safety officer who was burned to death in a Crown Vic fire, similar to my accident, on February 18th of 2000, uh, a year before my accident. And his son went on to be a DPS officer and this, uh, he is the father of this, this child. And I made sure to tell her, I said, listen, I know your grandfather passed away, but he saved so many lives with getting these cars fixed. I, he is somebody that I think about almost every day, 20 years later. Uh, it was not for nothing. And to, to be at the funeral for Chris and the emotions that we were all dealing with, and then I meet this young, innocent girl who was there. Uh, you know, I don't know her connection to Chandler. I don't know why her mom mom brought her she has a dps a department of public safety state trooper connection but she was there to show her support and it's important for all the law enforcement officers out there 
just like when I talk about putting your name on the application, do not forget those that have gone before us. It, whether it's Chris, who was buried just last week, all the way back to Skip Fink, who died 21 years ago. And it, the range of emotions that I felt on Friday night, the tears, the smiles, is uh, it was a horrible night in a lot of ways, but it was also incredible in so many ways because of the love that was expressed in a lot of different ways. And we go back to gratitude. I was so grateful for the opportunity to meet Chris's family, to see people that I haven't seen, and to get a chance for me to hit the reset button and to remember why I continue to go on with the smiles and the laughter and the love that I have. It's always good to have that perspective and to be grateful, even in the midst of one of the worst tragedies that that we could experience. And again, please go back and listen to episode 90. As listen well as to last week. Last week, episode 118 with the, the tribute show to Chris. It is forever. And, I, and that's what I did, Darren. I went around spreading the word to as many people as I could. It is forever. It is permanent. You might not you be ready. You will always be helping You people. not be ready tonight or next week, but a year from now, two years from now, this will never go away. You want to hear Chris's voice? There it is on two of our shows helping you know guys i want to tell you something so there was a beautiful there was a very beautiful image i saw and i wasn't able to make it to chris's service because of things going on at home but i saw a beautiful image and that will stick with me forever his canine jumping up on his coffin yeah well that unbelievable dog there's nothing listen there's nothing like the love of a dog and i don't think you know I, I, i don't think chris had uh, that dog for all that long, but the dog knew, and he yeah. he did it. He did it that during the visitation of the that was not captured uh, or shown on the media. I should say it was the next day on Saturday that uh, his dog uh, was shown doing what he did, and yeah, that was uh, that was incredibly it does move, powerful. It's, and it, yeah. it uh, dogs have a way of expressing for us what sometimes we're not willing to. Uh, express because I think a lot of us would have hugged that coffin. We're, we're just not allowed to. You know what right, I mean? That's right. that's not something we're allowed to do as cops and human beings. But a dog can do it, and it was it was beautiful. a beautiful moment it in was. time. Yeah. So it was. Uh, thank you all for joining us this week. We will be back with a very special show next week about the dangers of social media. I have a fantastic guest coming on next week that I think will benefit. Uh, everybody out there. So uh, please join us next week. Be safe and God bless all of you. Thank you. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys. Heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys.